I thank you for having me this morning. Thank you for all your support, for all your love, for your kind words. It's a privilege for me to come here this morning and be able to report that there are children of God in Mongolia singing glory, glory, hallelujah, my God reigns. I get asked a lot since we've been home if Mongolia has changed me. My time there has changed me. Absolutely. Yes. In many ways, I'm not the same person that I was before we left. Mongolia has simplified things for me. There are a lot of things that I thought were important before we left that just don't seem so important anymore. My faith has become clearer, the foundation more solid, There are things that make sense to me, and these are the things that are important. The great commandment, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. The great commission, go make disciples. Living in community, these are the things that are foundation to my faith. And there's been a real urgency that's been added to how I want to carry out our ministry, how we want to carry out our ministry. Holistically, meeting the needs of people. There's a real urgency for the poor. I'll work with almost anyone at any time, anywhere to help it take a dent out of poverty. These are the things that I know. And the rest of it, I think I'll let theologians a lot smarter than me figure it out. When we came back, um, Reach Global has a thing they call re-entry. Living cost culturally is stressful, so every missionary that serves on the term comes back and they want to give you seminars and you talk to psychologists, they want to find out if you're doing all right. But it's mostly to help. So Terry and I were down there and we're sitting in the boardroom, about 20 other missionaries, and they want to do this exercise. They want to, they asked us to rate our term, our last term, on a scale of 1 to 10. And they go around the room. The first guy from Honduras. He said, God is awesome. Missions is awesome. I think I'll give it a 10. Next person, you know, I can't quite give it a 10, but I'll give it a 9. And so on and so on. 9s and 10s all the way around. Just missions. Very cool. One of our friends, dear friends, Tom and Gail Shook, also working in Mongolia, were home. And the thing I love about them is they're just honesty. I got the gale shook, and she said, you know, I can't do this. I can't give you a nine. I can't give you a seven. I can't rate it like that. Because, yeah, there have been a lot of tens. God is awesome. We just have this new community center. The community has embraced it. We're teaching English. We have computer classes. We have medical outreaches there, relief work. There's a group of 16 believers in this community of 25,000 where five years ago there were none. Yeah, God is awesome. This last summer, nine believers were baptized. And to be baptized, they had to give up their idols. This is a culture that's praying to spirits. It was huge for them. They decided that Jesus Christ was the one and only way and they surrendered their life to them, to him. She continued and said, yeah. There's some tens. Well, you know what? There were a whole lot of ones. There were a lot of days that I just got kicked around and I couldn't get back up. I admire her for her honesty, and that rang true 
with me. The last several years has worn on me physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It wasn't all romance. It wasn't all roses. I've been physically sick. I got brucellosis that took me out of the picture for a couple months. We live in a poor culture. The Russians brought in vodka. Mongolians drink. There's alcoholism everywhere. Two to three times a day, I will see someone so drunk that they're passed out on the street, unable to function. And when there's alcohol like that, there's also going to be violence. Things escalate like that. On the street, there are fights all the time. It wears on you. We've watched our Mongolian friends struggle in some awful living conditions. We've watched children suffer and die. And I give you this brief edited list this morning, not to lift myself up, not to say, look at me, look how I suffered for Christ, look how awesome I am, look how I've triumphed. Just the opposite. I stand up here this morning to tell you that I'm a failure. That along the way, I lost my patience. That I began to feel entitled to things. That I felt violated and I got defensive. That along the way, I lost some of my love. That I pursued my own selfish desires and I stopped listening to the voice of God. That I spent time withdrawing instead of engaging. That in many ways, the last three years broke me. And as any broken person will describe the experience, they will tell you that they've been humbled. My time in Mongolia has humbled me. I've struggled. I've fought. I've cried out to and against God. And there's been one question that I've dealt with over and over and over again. What does God want from me? What does he expect from me? And then how do I know? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that's a question you have to answer. That knowledge would be very important to how you live your life. It would change the way you react to those that do you wrong. It would change the way you spend your free time. It would change who you spend your free time with. Do you know what God wants from you? You need to know. For me... I told you my faith has become pretty simple. Jesus is it for me. He's the real deal. I look at his life and I want to follow him. And it's a mixture of joy and pain. As I see how he works in people's lives, as I see his glory, as I see his compassion expressed, as I experience his forgiveness firsthand, it's total awe and it's total joy. But the other side is when I see how I fail to be anything like him when I fail to love like he loved. It's great pain. But Jesus is always the measure. I'm always in the Gospels. I study other things. But Jesus' words are always with me. I need them. This morning I'd like to look at Mark 12, 28 through 34. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The greatest commandment. 
one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given him a good answer, he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is what Jesus said about what God wants from us more than anything else. Jesus was asked straight up, of all the commandments from God, what is the most important? Let's get a little context here. These are teachers, these are rabbis, and this isn't such an easy question to answer. There are many commandments from God in the Bible. You open up the Bible, the first five books are called simply the law. They show us what pleases God. For example, you find in the Ten Commandments, God says, don't steal from one another because you're hurting the community that I love. Don't murder and so on. Well, the rabbis counted up all these commands and there were 613 in the law. They debated which of these was the most important. Which one was at the core? Which one is at the core? Is it more important not to steal or is it more important not to commit murder? Which commandment, if you get it right, means you have pretty much everything else right. That you are living in the will of God and you are doing what pleases him. Jesus gets asked this question. What do you think is the most important command? And he answers immediately. The most important command is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We all understand that the most important command is to love God with everything you got. Don't hold anything back. Your life should be one gift of love to God. Then Jesus says there's a second most important command. It goes closely with the first. It's related. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know what God wants from you? What he wants more than anything else? Love. It all comes down to love. That's what God cares about. That's what he thinks is central. That's what he commands us to do. And it's not just a love for God that could somehow ignore the needs of others. The two most important commands go together. It's PBJ time. When you love God and love other people, you've just offered up the most important thing you can. The one thing God finds pleasing above all else. God asks nothing else from you. Get this and you've got it. Love God. Love the people around you. There are two truths here. Number one, it's easy. Anyone can do it. You can do it. I can do it. We can all please God. We can all love him. And we can all love other people. Duh. Second truth. We don't do it. We live in a culture of entitlement. I deserve this. I didn't deserve that. 
There's a victim mentality to our culture. We focus inward instead of outward. We think about ourselves. We're brought up in the material. How do I make me more comfortable? We do it as individuals and we do it as churches. We are focused inward instead of outward. Loving God and neighbor. God commands us to do it. Jesus calls us to do it. But we know within ourselves that we don't really love God with all our heart. Instead, we love him with some of our heart and a little bit of our soul and a fraction of our mind and a portion of our strength. The rest we keep for ourselves. The reality is we have these pockets of rebellion in our heart where we resist God and do not surrender to him in love. We love him to some extent, but we keep him out of those certain areas. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's career. Maybe it's your kids. God can have every part of you, but if something ever happened to your kids, God has just stepped over the line. You're not sure you would be able to follow him anymore. Every year since we've been in Mongolia, we've done this outreach trip called the Amazing Gear. The whole point is to go to an unreached group, a poor community, provide a bunch of services, medical services. We come with doctors, dentists, and anyone who needs it can come. Hundreds of people have come for those services. We also provide English, crafts, we have tournaments. And then at the end, at the end of the day, the services aren't what are important. We present the gospel to a place that has never heard the name of Jesus. We've done this for two years. We've been back during the winter to check up on people and done other things. And it's been very cool. It has been amazing. But the first year we did it, two terrible, awful things happened. We did it in two locations, Yoro and Hooter. In Yoro, a little girl, 11 years old, who had been coming out every day in English camp, been playing with us. A little girl who had never heard the name of Jesus was opening up, hearing the gospel, and hearing for the first time that Jesus loved her. During the Amazing Gear outreach, she went for a swim in the river. The current caught her up, swept her away, and she drowned. The very next day, a little boy had been coming, playing with us, English camps, little boy who for the very first time in his entire life heard about Jesus and heard about Jesus who loves him, fell off his horse, got caught up in the gear and was dragged for about a quarter of a mile. And he was brought to us and the decision was made that we had to get him to the hospital. So I'm preparing my car to take him to the nearest hospital about seven hours away. And after I get everything ready and I come in and everything's set to go, he starts convulsing, starts coughing blood, and he's gone. I'll never forget the mother's wailing. That's something I never want to hear again. 
And that was August 2006. And during that month, a big part of me died. After that trip, I asked myself, why? What now? What am I doing here? My heart went a little cold after that, and I saw something pretty ugly in myself. I stopped feeling loved. I didn't feel loved, and I didn't feel like loving God. I no longer felt like a beautiful child of God, and I started to withdraw. The thing is, I know just how hard it is for my heart which fully doesn't trust God to really love him, to pour out myself to him, to freely give to him because he has freely given to me. And I hate it in me. Why do I find it so hard to do what Jesus said and love God with all my heart, all my soul, mind and strength? And every week it's only simply honesty, simple honesty for you and me to confess to God. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. But I want to love God with my whole heart. The question is, how? How do I increase my devotion to God? And I've been thinking about that. How do I increase my devotion? It's simple. When God comes, say one word to him. Just say yes. If you want to love God with your whole heart, take a deep breath and just say, yeah, all right. Well, how do you do that? The last year and a half, I've been searching, and I've spent a lot of time in the wild of Mongolia, just being quiet. Mongolia is awesome for that. It's the least densely populated country on the face of the earth. And this last year, we moved up by the forests of Siberia. So I spent a lot of time in the hills and the forests with no one else around Because I have needed to quiet my spirit. I've needed to resubmit myself to God. In order to answer the question, how, how to increase your devotion, you have to listen to God. And this doesn't come easy for us because we live in a busy culture. If you have a normal life here in North America, you'll be so distracted, so fatigued, So much noise around you that it's almost impossible to hear the voice of God. You have to be intentional. It takes effort. But here's what happens when we slow down and really listen to God. One of the first things I heard was, I love you. It took me a long time to get up the courage to be quiet before God. Because every time I started to get quiet, what I heard was, George, you are a loser. But that wasn't God's voice. That was my own distorted guilt. That was my unwillingness to be forgiven by God from those around me. It was all polluting my perspective. When God talks to you, he talks to you in love. Even when he corrects you, and he will, he does it in love. And when you hear God say, I love you, Here's what you say back. Yes. With your will, open up and say, yes, God, I hear you. I receive it. I accept it. I choose not to give in to my own natural self-hatred and self-absorption. When you say yes to God's love for you, you'll find it a lot easier to do the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
When you've been experiencing from God his love, you start to pass it on to others. God fills us with his spirit and his love, and we surprise ourselves because we find ourselves loving people in ways that we could not before. God's forgiven your junk, so you can forgive that person that's wronged you. God's been patient with you when you've been slow to grow up, so you can be patient with that life-draining person in your family, at work, church, wherever. I want to be that infinitely patient person, that person who instead of lashing out at those who have hurt me is the one that returns love, returns a kind word when I've been wronged. And the only way I know how to do it is to first say yes to God. I'm not sure how it works, but if you say yes to God's love, you'll automatically end up loving him more and your neighbor more. What is God saying to you? What is he asking of you? And I know there are people here this morning that are like me. They're afraid to be quiet because all those other voices just bring up your failures. But if you're quiet before God, I guarantee that you will hear that he loves you. And when you hear that, just tell him yes. Accept it. Accept what he did for you on the cross. What greater expression of love is there? Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give him everything you've got. Because when you say yes to God, you grow in love for him, and you grow in love for your neighbor. Someone made this very personal for me in Mongolia. Really showed me what it means to say yes. Her name's Oyuna. She's in her 40s. She has four children. She's the type of person that's always smiling. Always wanting to pitch in and help. Always wanting to give of herself to me, to others. And it's always amazed me because of how hard her life is and how hard it's been. How could she be so giving? Any form of domestic abuse you can think of, she's been through. She's been beaten. She's been told she's been worthless since she was young. She's been raped more than once. But if you spend any time with her, one of the first things that you see is that she is full of love. She has been forgiven. She is free. She is living in her Savior's love. And she is a beautiful child of God. She's one of these people, as soon as you see her, your spirits lift. As I think about her, a smile comes to my face. She's awesome. And I tell you about her because she reinforced this core truth to me. She showed me God's love. She showed me the meaning of the gospel. She showed me what it looked like to have a heart filled with love for God and for others. Winter came to Mongolia and her two-year-old girl caught pneumonia. There was a struggle. There was a battle. But that little girl lost And the following months were difficult. What do you say to someone who's lost their child? How do you help? Felt so inadequate. But she came to Bible study. And this is about two months in. Still in the midst of her deepest pain, her deepest sorrow. And I heard her pray. 
Her prayer was simple. It was beautiful. She prayed. God is good. He's my protector and I want nothing but him. She kept repeating, God is good. God is good. He is my savior. Three years ago, she had never heard the gospel. But that doesn't matter. She totally gets it. God is most glorified when you are satisfied with him in the midst of your deepest sorrow, your deepest loss, not in the midst of our wealth and prosperity. I imagine during her prayer, there's a lot of singing in heaven going on. This is what I've learned from my experience. I am powerless, except through the power of the cross. I am not patient. I am not kind. I am not a forgiving person, except by grace. I've had to relearn how to say yes to God, how to open myself up and be vulnerable. Now, more than ever, I'm grateful for every gift I have. I never want to lose sight of that again. Remember my first question, has Mongolia changed you? I get asked another question a lot. How do you experience Jesus? What's well, easy? People. By opening myself up to the people around me, by carrying someone else's burden, I see Jesus in their face. But also, by allowing someone to carry my burden, by accepting someone's help, accepting someone's love. I experienced Jesus that way too. In this command we've looked at, Jesus sums up the total of our existence, what it really means, and he does it in terms of relationships. In the Gospels, we see Jesus spent a lot of time at weddings and funerals. He was with people when they were rejoicing. He was with them in their great times of joy. He was with them in their great times of sorrow. He lived life with people. I want to thank you this morning. You've been with us during our great times of sorrow. I look out on this congregation. I see a lot of people that have had my back. A lot of people that have carried me when I haven't been able to walk on my own. You've also been with us during the great times of celebration. And it's been a privilege for me to be in Mongolia in this way. Thank you very much for everything.